Hi everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted, your cookie-drugging Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. This week, Ted, episode 11 of season 2 and the last episode that aired in 1997. Next week when we come back, we will be in the dizzying distant future of 1998. I know. Oh, there's so much to talk about. There's so much 1997 in this there episode. There is a lot, actually. yes. It's a really nice way to see out that calendar <laughs> year. This episode written by David Greenwald and uh, Joss Whedon, directed by Bruce Seth Green. Three gentlemen about whom I need say no more. Power they are common fixtures. Yeah, this is our Buffy. power trio. They are really, yeah. Right at the heart of, of season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We should frame this discussion a little, I think, right up front by okay. saying that this is an enormously controversial episode. Yes. There are those out there. Alison Hannigan among their number, who would list this as one of the best Buffy the Vampire Slayer episodes. I think that for most of us, it falls much further down the a little, list. A little lower on the list, perhaps. Well, I think that John Ritter, though, has a lot to do with that. Her experience of filming Ted may have been a lot of fun because anyone who grew up in the 70s, like Alison Hannigan and uh, Nicholas Brendan, who is my age exactly, um, it, they know, you know, John Ritter as sure. Jack Tripper. I mean, you're just waiting for him to come out and, you know, be all funny and trip over a chair. And then, you know, Mr. Furley comes up from downstairs and says, ah, you're gay. You know, And, and even yeah. if you don't know Three's company as i don't yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't think i've ever seen because uh, they didn't have it in the uk huh uh, not to the best of my knowledge oh, no, i've never a, seen an episode of three's company thing, yeah but i know john ritter from that particular energy that particular right. geniality uh, and his guest that star spots in you know, every television show yeah, yeah. and he, my he, understanding is that that john ritter is really you know kind of one of the sweetest men to ever walk yeah, the earth yeah. i mean i've never met the man personally but i've heard nothing but great things right. about him so i imagine working with him on the set was probably a lot of fun and now, unfortunately, your chance to meet him somewhat passed. Uh, yeah. John Richard sadly deceased, died in 2003, yeah. which I, I couldn't believe uh, looking it up right before the show. I couldn't believe I that it was that long ago. It is. It's, it's really, it was a sad loss. He was yeah. shooting, uh, I think, Eight Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. Eight that, Simple that, Rules. Yeah, eight yeah, Simple yeah. Rules, right. Um, at the time, and he was the dad on that show, and just, you know, that was Which is the show it. that I have seen, because that's the show with uh, uh, Katie Sagal and uh, yeah. Kaylee Kuwako. Kaylee Kuwako was in that, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, Not, you know, one of the standout sitcoms of all time. But in a way, it exemplified some of that kind of, of, uh, some of that geniality, some of that good-hearted, all-American kind of qualities that that, that John Ritter uh, really did represent on screen throughout his career. So he's a striking presence in this episode, and I can completely see why his presence alone would move this episode up your list, particularly if you were involved, you know, in the production. Right. Uh, For me, unfortunately... For me, unfortunately, John Ritter actually plays against the strengths of this episode mm-hmm. because not because of his performance, but because of his notability. Yeah. You can never forget that you're watching John Ritter, and it's really weird the way that it punctures the reality That's of where's the, the cost of stunt casting. You yeah. know, when you have somebody who's who's a big recognizable figure and you put them in a show, then it becomes all about, you know, ooh, who's guesting on, you know, Buffy this week. And it's one of the things that Buffy does not fall prey to very often, if ever again. I am racking my brain trying I to think, think of stunt casting in Buffy, and I don't think they're He might be the highest profile I think guest he star. Is. And I think um, that there's a 
you know, there's probably there's a good reason why you want to get unknowns in these uh, in these shows, because it it works against the story you're trying to tell when you have somebody so notable and somebody that you have so many expectations of. I mean, for me, it's weird to see John Ritter playing somebody creepy because I really like him. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I find him incredibly likable. I find the creepiness of his performance actually much more convincing than the the swell guy. Well, because the amiability is this very fake 1950s. The amiability of the character in and of itself is essentially creepy. Let's get into our beat by beat breakdown. We're going to be quick this week moving through the episode, but there's a lot to talk about. Uh, A lot of big thematic crunchy stuff to get into after our our rundown is over. And I should say too, if if you somehow missed last week's episode of Dusted, A, you should go back and listen to it because it was a good one. And Mm -hmm. B, you should stick around after the music if you have seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer before because right at the end of the episode we have our all new spoiler zone where we're going to talk about the implications of this episode going forward Uh, that's going to be a really interesting discussion not least of all for one very conspicuous set I shall say no more we'll talk about that later until the spoiler zone (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into it evening has fallen on the sleepy town of Sunnydale Xander and Willow are arguing about the power dynamics between the captain and Tennille because hey that's all that teenagers in the late 1990s could talk about. It was an old pop culture poll even for 1997, wasn't it? Okay, I thought maybe that was just me, yeah. (laughs) No, it was conspicuously old. Uh, (laughs) Buffy is relaxed, however, Spike and Drusilla are gone, the contract with the Order of Taraka is over, all is right with the world, except that Buffy's door is open. She hears glass breaking, and Joyce is in the kitchen with... uh, Buffy? Meet Ted. (laughs) We cut... To credits, as Willow and Xander hang out in the kitchen with Ted, Buffy and Joyce talk. Joyce and Ted have been dating for a while, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the important stuff. Yes. Willow has a nine gig hard drive. Willow has a nine gig But her computer is only half a rocket ship because she doesn't have the DMA upgrade. Okay, now, okay, you know a lot about computers. In 1997. Even even back in 1997, you knew a lot about computers. Oh, I knew more then than I do today. That's for damn sure. uh, Given 1997 technology, does any of that make sense? I mean, the 9 gig hard drive I thought was just kind of adorable. No, it kind of, I mean, a 9 gig hard drive in 1997, you would have been looking at, you know, $1,000, That's That's a really conspicuous piece of consumer hardware Mm -hmm. for a teenager to have, though not out of character for Willow. The DMA upgrade is weird. DMA is direct memory allocation, Mm -hmm. or, or direct memory access, depending uh, it is basically a way of hardware circumventing the CPU to, to speak directly to the mm-hmm. memory of the computer to, to reduce access times and to prevent bottlenecking at the CPU. Mm-hmm. I don't entirely know what upgrade he would be talking about. Is that a uh, hardware thing or a software no, thing? No, well, it's a hardware thing because you need to have right. ports and buses on the motherboard to allow for that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not at all sure. Okay, I find it kind of adorable. And I know it's just me because like the technology, old technology, <laughs> like warms the cockles of my heart in a way that you cannot even understand. I'll get this out of the way now. Yes. Uh, he talks about the upgrade here when he shows up at the school later and he says, here's the upgrade <laughs> the uh, we were talking discs. about. And he gives her that little bundle of floppy disks with an elastic band around yes. them. I'm going to assume that those are, in fact, two different upgrades or that the floppy disks contain drivers for a hardware upgrade that he gave her previously. That is my headcanon. And clearly, okay. that's the most important thing that we can talk about with regard to this no, episode. No, I think it's absolutely important that we spend five minutes talking about 1997 technology. This is just something y'all are going to have to put up with me. Whenever we see technology in Buffy, I'm going to call it out because I love it. It's, it's so, so cute. Good. It's, so, it's good. so cute. Xander is impressed by Ted's mini pizzas, but Buffy isn't. Ted tries to build a bridge and Buffy... Buffy assures him that she's okay 
a statement that is somewhat undercut by her enthusiastic pummeling of a vampire in the park <laughs> later that evening. Giles gives an account of the vampire power vacuum in Sunnydale now that Spike and Drusilla are missing yeah, presumed are double dead. Just wandering around. They don't know what to do. They have no leader. So sure. they're just wandering around in circles, apparently. This is what's happening. <laughs> and hanging out at the park. There's something really, right. really disturbing about that notion that, that they go to the, the easiest hunting grounds. Yeah. And the easiest hunting grounds is a children's park. Right. But vampires only go out after dark. Well, I mean, maybe they're not, you know, because teenagers like to go to the children's park after sure. dark. And teenagers are, of course, the youthful blood that we know, you know, based on previous episodes right. that, that vampires really like. So and I, that's I think, why the halls of Sunnydale High are so empty. It's, that's why. <laughs> that and you can only afford to hire so many extras. Uh, Buffy is more concerned with mini pizzas than she is with the state of vampire politics in Sunnydale. She is so concerned with mini pizzas, in fact, that we're still talking about them when we arrive at school the next day. Xander and Willow are defensive of Ted, but Buffy is having none of it. She is, though, having parental issues, as Xander so gleefully points out. <laughs> Ted shows up at school and gives Willow those upgrades uh, that we mentioned yes. earlier. Yes, oh my god. We're so lucky that the, the non-specific use of the word upgrades in that scene just frees us up to, to look at the episode as a whole and not be distracted by this tiny And not be distracted detail. by the thing that only you and I would be distracted by. But I, <laughs> I love the, the pack of floppy disks held together by a, a rubber band is so iconic of that yeah. time. I remember having uh, my Microsoft word sure. like that and i would do one disc after another disc after another disc and <laughs> install the whole thing i'm a geek anyway go ahead <laughs> no, it, no it's great so th there is something particularly iconic about the floppy disk yeah and and i don't know i guess something even doubly so about a stack of floppy disks yes. held together by an elastic band yeah um that that's an enormously I kind of wish I had. I don't even have, you know, a physical drive on my computer I anymore. Know. I kind of wish that I had a stack of that, floppy disks that I could just yeah, that touch physical for that tactile click. experience. Yeah, yeah, you get that real physical experience that you don't get anymore. Okay, I'm going on eBay when the show's over. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ted invites the Scoobies to play mini-golf with them on Saturday, and Xander breaks the rules of improv by resolutely failing to yes-and the notion of their pre-arranged thing. Once again, Nicholas Brandon... Just great. Just great. Uh, all episode. Giles goes to see Jenny on the weakest of excuses. She's been out of danger for three whole weeks, which coincidentally maps to three whole episodes yes. since the Mark of Igon incident. She needs space and Giles isn't giving it to her. She says, you make me feel bad that I don't feel better. I don't want that responsibility. Giles leaves. Jenny sighs. Oh, all is not well. Aww. You really took against Jenny in this scene. She's a complete bitch in this scene you don't doesn't think... help me when you come here making puppy dog eyes at me don't be mean to giles <laughs> okay defensiveness <laughs> of giles aside and and with your your right. long established antipathy toward jenny calendar yes there's there's nothing in i actually thought the scene was rather beautifully done and and much more interesting there's really something uh emotionally complex about that idea yeah. you make me feel bad that i don't feel better right um and I appreciate like her there. her expressing that to him, but what I don't like is the way that she makes it like his fault. Like he's his all he wants to do is make sure she's okay and check in on her, which is not a bad thing for him to want to do. Right. And I think she snaps at him in a way that I can sympathize with, but at the same time, because I already don't like her, and then she's mean to Giles. Um, I don't know. I think that I feel about Jenny the way that Buffy feels about Ted. I don't like her. <laughs> Because like she's her. stepping on your turf. She's bad. 
bad news. That's it. So uh, to skip ahead just a little, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Jenny Callender in this episode, I should say. But to skip ahead to the park later, uh, her apology doesn't carry any weight with you? No, I, I, you know, I I give her the apology. She's absolutely right to apologize. She was awful and she does apologize. And therefore, I grudgingly allow it. (laughs) You're adorable. Just adorable. Uh, in Angel's apartment, meanwhile, Buffy is tending to his bandaged hand, presumably still injured from, from the, uh, the the ritual. Yeah, uh, the with the Duloc cross. Yes. Knife, yeah. Uh, interesting that he's not healing particularly swiftly. Considering it's well, I mean, it's a supernatural injury. Like exactly. vampires, yeah. you know, heal quickly from regular mundane injuries. But when you're stabbed with the sword of Duloc, no, I mean, that's, that's going to that's that's take that I really a like. chunk yeah. out of you. And yeah. also, there's the implication that you know some of his power was his given strength to Drusilla, was given to so Drusilla. There's, yeah, there's something going on there that I really like that we just kind of we have right. this detail and we're allowed to extrapolate from it mm-hmm. without it being laid out for us uh, explicitly. Right. Uh, Buffy is complaining uh, bitterly about Ted. Angel tells her that loneliness is just the worst, and Buffy agrees to give Ted a chance. And with that out the way, hey, let's get to the smooching. <laughs> let's get to the super passionate, closed-mouth smooching of network TV in 1997. Network TV kissing. <laughs> We're going really to have weird. a lot to say about that kind Very of kissing soon. in the episodes yes, to come. Yes. At mini golf on Saturday, Ted is just charming the hell out of everyone he is. except Buffy. Joyce has been telling Ted all about Buffy's grades, and he's just crossing lines in every direction. Buffy hits the golf ball with all her mighty slayer strength. Joyce says that they won't count it, but Ted is just a stickler for the rules. Buffy retrieves her ball and puts it in the hole, claiming to have scored two strokes in an act of minor teenage rebellion. Mm-hmm. But Ted is standing three feet outside her line of sight, <laughs> confirming her suspicions that people in Sunnydale have no have peripheral no vision. <laughs> Ted's facade cracks and he threatens to slap Buffy. But when the others appear, he switches back to genial Ted and everyone has cookies. Everyone except Buffy who hasn't eaten a single thing from Ted. I wonder if that's going to be significant. I wonder if it could be. Um <laughs> We've talked before about this problem with peripheral vision. Yeah. We've talked before. And and this is clearly a production issue. You know, there's right. nothing in the script that says right. Ted is standing conspicuously but close rather to than Buffy. Coming out, it's rather impossible. Rather than seeing the last bit of his movement coming out from behind, like the, the mini golf structure yeah. that she's behind, like, just give us that. Just give us this idea that he just moved in. Yeah. You know? Um, but the, the thing is, he's standing there clearly leaning against the thing. Yeah. He's been there a while and he's like, Two feet away from her. Yeah, it is maybe she would at know most he was there, like right. 15 degrees away from her line of sight. Yes. There is no mm-hmm. way that she could have failed to see him and right. yet. Mm-hmm. And that's not even the worst incidence of that particular thing in this episode. <laughs> um, let's let's talk a little about this moment. Um, obviously, we've seen these episodes before. Do right. you remember how you felt the first time that Tad threatens Buffy? I was like, John Ritter can't be mean. He can't be mean. He can't. That was my response to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, um, I, I remember feeling like a little, like, you can see it coming. I mean, Ted is creepy even when he's genial, even maybe more when he's genial than when he's like directly threatening. Yeah. Um, so I think this is, this is, you know, telegraphed pretty well at this point. If, if you're surprised by it, I don't it's, know. It's- Do you remember being surprised by it? I, I don't remember uh, the first time that I saw this episode. Yeah. My earliest memory of this episode is, is thinking of it as that episode that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that... Because it's not just Ted. 
Mm-hmm. It's not just the fact that he's unsettling and weird. It's the fact that everyone else is so over-enthusiastic about his presence. Right. Um, for reasons which will become clear <laughs> In later. a little while, yeah. But it's not clear how much of that is is dissonant. How much right. of that is, you know, the TV show asserting that Ted is a really awesome guy and we should feel bad for, for doubting him. Right. You know, there's no clear sense of the authorial voice. We don't have a Scavonian anchor here. E- exactly right. To keep right. us, yes. to let us know what it is that the writers actually think. Yeah, is because Ted we're terrible? Because line. Are we supposed to think he's terrible? Are yeah. we supposed or are to are be we supposed to side with, with Xander? Are with we Willow supposed to think that it's about time that Joyce got some and, you know... <laughs> Leave the poor woman alone. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting in one way that that they leave that space open yeah. because I don't think that that the absence of an authorial voice or or you know a clear signpost of their intent mm-hmm. is accidental. I think it's entirely purposeful. Right. I'm just on the one hand very grateful for that that they're trusting the audience enough mm-hmm. to to give them that space. On the other hand, I think it works against the central premise of the show. I think that yeah. in order for this plot to work, we have to think that Buffy's being terrible. But John Ritter is creepy enough right. that we don't. You know, so we're, it, well, we're entirely with her. there's a question. Like, in the early stuff he's so like he's so overly good he's so overly like gee golly perfect that for me like i don't trust that immediately <laughs> apparently i'm really on buffy's side here <laughs> like yeah. i didn't trust it, it like anywhere and i was you know a little disappointed because i was like oh you know john ritter shouldn't be the bad guy but but i understood him as the monster of the week by this time so i feel like the messages that i got from the writing were were fairly clear that that he's He's bad news. Yeah, I think the only thing that kind of undercuts that is the complete and unadorned support that he gets from Xander, from, from Willow, the other even people from we Angel, trust. You know, which we is have. which is what happens yeah. when you um, when you have a character, you know, showing how other people we trust. You know, a new character. If you've got other characters in there who we trust, we've got Xander and Willow, you know, and Joyce um, and uh, and Angel, you know, and they're all like, you know, giving him a chance. It's a real then- shame. That we couldn't have had that scene with Giles too. That scene right. in the park. It's a real shame that Buffy couldn't have opened up a little bit about didn't talk Ted to him a little bit to about get it, that right? kind of surrogate father figure mm-hmm. angle on a new surrogate father figure. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it would have been interesting to see some of that interplay. And Giles' opinion, I think, in this regard in particular, would have carried some weight. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the 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 gap between intent and actuality in mm-hmm. this episode is interesting on yeah. the one hand, but ultimately, I think self-defeating mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons that the episode doesn't connect as fully as as perhaps okay. it should let's let's keep going and we'll analyze how that works as we move All through right. the, the episode the next morning buffy comes down to breakfast but doesn't want to eat anything that ted made she tells joyce that ted threatened her but ted told a different version of events and joyce takes his side they're having dinner together that night and that is that mm-hmm. a really tough scene yeah one of the great things about uh sarah michelle Gellar and christine sutherland is the way that they can anchor these mm-hmm. these moments of like genuine you know uh, conflict between a mother and a daughter right without mm-hmm. necessarily turning it to you know hyperbole and and mm-hmm. you know the throwing of dishes and the, the screaming of obscenities right they can really kind of deliver that that fractious yeah tense relationship the um, subtle the subtle conflict that underlies yeah. every mother-daughter relationship <laughs> <laughs> at school buffy lights the scooby signal and demands that research be done into ted and his weirdness but xander and willow are resistant and also easily distracted at mm-hmm. least in xander's case by cordelia uh xander and cordelia discreetly discuss their top secret liaison by yelling about it in a portico <laughs> 
<laughs> that is not like even an indoor voice. No, and there's also tons of kids like just wandering around yeah. them and they're being, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> you, you gotta, reality is no defense for fiction. You gotta kind of like presume that they're, they're speaking quietly enough that only they can hear each other, even sure. though, even <laughs> though they're projecting cons- to the back yeah. row. Yes. It's only conspicuous because it really is. It's not just normal speaking voice, it is full. It is full. like shouting. <laughs> uh, Buffy tasks Willow, meanwhile, to find out where Ted works willow mm-hmm. presumably does so because the very next scene is buffy showing up at ted's office she overhears ted sell a piece of software that completely prevents your computer from crashing yay so, i don't, don't know, know wow. what software that was or where it went uh i, th- I there's only one explanation and that's that he's selling apple computers oh, he's lying um, <laughs> <laughs> then buffy gets information and heavy foreshadowing from one of ted's co-workers neil who says things like no one beats the machine and he knows everything about computers and he identifies strongly with the character of the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. And he's super a robot, you guys. Just like really 100% a robot. Uh, fortunately, Ted is going to take time off for the wedding. He even has a picture of his betrothed on his desk. Mm-hmm. Buffy investigates and finds out that she herself has been folded out of the picture. Out of the frame, I know. Now, I feel like... Mm-hmm. Clearly, you don't ever want to be folded out of a picture of your mother. True. You know, you don't necessarily want to be excluded in that way. But it's not as though Ted drew little devil horns and a goatee on her. <gasps> that would have been awesome! <laughs> the Buffy Special Edition re-released in Blu-ray <laughs> will have some marker marks on that photograph. Where her face is all scratched out. Yeah. <laughs> A little, little I mean, uh, word gonna, balloon saying, I uh, What I'm saying is, you're, if you're going to do crazy, go big or go home, you know? At dinner that evening, Ted says grace over, seriously, enough food for eight people. Uh, <laughs> Buffy asks them directly if they're engaged, and Ted smoothly says, not yet, but he's not going anywhere. Joyce sends Buffy to her room and apologizes to Ted. We cut to the park where Buffy is swinging on the swing set, calling forlornly for vampires to come by so that she can work out some of her tensions. Uh, It's a nice scene. It's a cute little moment, yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) When she returns home, though, Ted is waiting for her in her bedroom. He's gone through her things. He has read her diary. He threatens her with incarceration in a mental institution. And when she tries to stop him from leaving, he slaps her, like, really Really hard. hard. If she wasn't the Slayer... yeah. I mean, she would have been knocked out for days if she yeah. wasn't the Slayer. Yeah, it's 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 quite a striking blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fight. Joyce appears in the doorway just in time, of course, to see Buffy smack the defenseless Ted around. <laughs> uh, Ted is knocked out into the hallway, down the hallway, into and the we door. have some of the worst stunt work that has I ever. I don't think John Ritter did his own stunt work. I don't know what happened with the guy who was doing it. And it's but so it was awkwardly really shot. Tough. There's yeah. nothing. I mean, no, this is a. It's a difficult scene right. to communicate because of the geography of, because of Buffy's. Of the, yeah. House. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, if you want to choreograph someone falling down the stairs, do yeah. it at Sunnydale High. Exactly. Where they have the Harmony Staircase. The Harmony Staircase, which is made specifically so you can knock people down So it. you can just tumble down. They right. can get coverage. The they can light it stairs. properly. Yeah. And I like it too. How like Harmony, a 16-year-old girl, <laughs> falls down a cement staircase twice as long as the one in the... But you know, Ted, a 55-year-old super robot, uh, falls down the padded staircase at Buffy's yes. house and immediately But he's you know, a robot from the 50s. So, I mean, he's probably, like, packed full of asbestos. This is true. <laughs> 
he's not in the best of condition. But he's fire resistant. True, true, absolutely. Um, So this is this is our big moment. Uh, Buffy knocks him around like a chubby pinata, sends him (laughs) flying down the stairs. He drops. Joyce rushes to his side and says, "You've killed him." We cut hard to a commercial break, and when we come back, well. When we come back, Ted is just being zipped up in a body bag. There you go. The expected kind of false conflict note that sends us into the commercial break is actually genuine. Yes. And Ted is is zipped up by the coroner. Joyce is questioned, meanwhile, by a detective. She lies about Buffy's involvement, but Buffy, distraught, tells the truth. We cut to Joyce sitting alone in the police department, then to Buffy being interviewed by the detective, possibly the worst detective. <laughs> Doesn't press her on any particular point. No. Doesn't necessarily give her time to finish the question that Mm -hmm. he just asked. But this scene works in the most, you know, gross and disturbing way possible for the way that he dismisses uh, her account of the events because she doesn't seem to have a mark on her. He didn't hit her very hard. Right. And that's, I mean, that's horribly unpleasant. It is really unpleasant. It's very uncomfortable and it smacks of a lot of times when women are not believed when they make claims about violence on them, which is why a lot of women don't report the things that happen to them. Do you think that was deliberate? Do you think that is a reference that the show is making? No. Because we're clearly supposed to be, you know, against Buffy at this point. We're supposed to be horrified by what Buffy has done. Right. Uh, because she's, you know, at this point, she's killed a human. She's yeah. killed a person. So, I mean, this is a different thing from slaying, you know, a demon. And yeah. uh, and we've already kind of traipsed down this road before. I don't think that there was any deliberate consciousness of, uh, well, you know, you don't look like he hit you. Sure. You know, um, and uh, so I don't know, like, I find it horribly uncomfortable, given a lot of the national discussions that we're having now, which are important national discussions. And I'm glad we're finally having them at that point. I feel like that sort of response was more a, a presumption, a standard presumption that this yeah. is a completely normal and appropriate thing for yeah. a detective to say. I'm I'm with you. I think it's an uncomfortable association. It's an uncomfortable, yeah. you know, uh, reference point. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were deliberately trying to say anything about accusations of rape or assault. Exactly. Um, it's something that, that the culture, where we are in the culture now, yeah. Yeah. shines a really unflattering light on that particular. But I think that what they were getting at then was we were trying to, you know, to figure out, did Buffy do the right thing? Yeah. Was she justified in her behavior? And that's the question that the, the story is asking. Um, and I think kind less, of, yeah. you know, less that we're really trying to, to show how women are treated when they make claims of violence. Let's um, let's take a moment to kind of uh, head off some discussion at the pass yes. here. Because I, I, I know we're going to get emails. But obviously, we're going to talk a little about uh, the implications of Buffy killing a human uh, right. through the rest of this episode. Let's kind of, of you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. discuss uh, matters of canonicity. Right. Buffy has, to date, it's been alleged, killed two human beings, the first in the pack mm-hmm. where she throws the zookeeper into the right. the hyena cage mm-hmm. um that obviously we're not supposed to treat as the real you know the the murder of a human being partly well, it's because a, murder in self defense yeah you know is one thing and that is you know that is acceptable and he's also at that point you know magically powered well didn't he wasn't he just holding a knife to willow's throat at that point too so i mean at that point it is it is self-defense or defense of someone else but but even if we take like the most generous assumption that that you know buffy should never kill a human being that's a point that we'll you know discuss Mm -hmm. more philosophically later in the episode even if we allow for that uh 
she didn't exactly kill a human being in the pack. And I yes. don't think anyone's you know uncomfortable with that conclusion. Mm-hmm. There is some discussion of the one-eyed biker guy from uh, yes. What's My Line Part 1 and mm-hmm. whether or not he was human. It seems to me, looking textually, that the only kind of evidence that he's human is that he steps out of the bus into full sunlight. And Giles has a line right. that the Order of Taraka hires both demons and humans. Right. Um... I'm not comfortable saying... I, I don't think he's a human. The way that he battles Angel clearly displays some kind of superior Slayer-level strength, strength, at right. least, if not greater. Right. Um, and, well, even if he is a human, he's a murderous human. I mean, these aren't bounty hunters. These are assassins, no, you know? So, I mean... That's true. But, I mean, even to, even if we allow for for mm-hmm. the idea, even if we stipulate that any time Buffy kills a human, it is a terrible thing. Right. Even under those circumstances, I don't think she's crossed this line before. Yeah, no, um, I don't think that she has. This is, and and you know, partly we can tell that she hasn't crossed that line before mm-hmm. by the way that she responds in this episode. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> she's not saying I killed Ted. I killed an unarmed man. I killed you know John Ritter. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, it was an accident. Like her intent, I don't think was to kill him. Although she did, as we see with the vampire in the park, she took that anger and went too far with it. You know, well, he Ted. also struck the first blow, which he is struck incredibly the first talented. blow and he yeah. hit hard. I mean, he really, you know, intended to hurt her. Yeah. So I think that this is a circumstance of self-defense. I think that she didn't intend to kill him so much as she was really, really angry and had a lot of Slayer strength going yeah. on. Um, and well, it's, it's one of these things where you, you know, you realize the extent of your strength and you're like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Let, let's keep going and we'll kind of we'll explore right. this we'll, a little we'll more further. We'll definitely touch but, on but that just more. just for now, let's stipulate, I think, as a matter of canonicity. This is the first human kill. This yeah. is the first one, right. Uh, no charges are being brought against Buffy for now. And she and Joyce drive home in silence at school the next day. Buffy wears the dungarees of sadness. <laughs> Everyone is staring at her. She talks with Xander and Willow in the student lounge, explaining what happened. The paper said that Ted fell down the stairs. Confirming for us, by the way, that the Sunnydale Press has just a rigorous production schedule. Oh, my goodness. And also is read by everyone in town. Do we believe that that Willow, possessed as she is of a 9-gig hard drive and all these new upgrades, reads a physical newspaper to get her news about her small town? Well, her parents might have it delivered (laughs) in the morning and, you know, with her coffee, she reads the paper, you know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I can't can't believe that the story of, you know, if Buffy killed... Ted. It was obviously at night and it was after it's, she had gone to the... So, I mean, it's like right, it's midnight. After she's been it has out, to be yeah, late yeah. enough that there's going to be that delay between when Ted smacks the shit out of Buffy and knocks her around the room and Joyce actually comes out of the bedroom. Yeah. You know, so she must have been asleep or something because she took quite a delay before coming out to see what was going on. Well, she's still dressed at least. Okay, um, yeah, she's not which, in her pajamas. I mean, yeah. does also kind of, of of force us to raise the question, where did Joyce think Ted was? Yeah. Ted's apparently Ted's just been, been hanging been out in Buffy's room for some Buffy's time. Ted's been snooping through Buffy's stuff, yeah. So Joyce is perfectly comfortable with the idea. Well, uh, Joyce is drugged, of course. She we is, well, yes, we do have to, we have to keep to heading on to that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously it was late at night, and uh, the newspaper, if somebody dies, you know, like that night, if there's an accident and somebody dies and possibly killed by a little girl, well, you know, maybe that's... But the thing is that a newspaper, any newspaper, is going to run with man dies under suspicious circumstances, girl investigated. Exactly. Man dies, totally a fall, everything's fine. Totally a fall, everything's fine. Yeah, I don't know. School girl definitely not culpable in man's tumble down staircase. Like, when does the press go to, if you, in the middle of the night... (laughs) 
<laughs> like you have to think about when this thing goes to press is like, you know, two, three in the morning so that they can get the deliveries out and get it to everybody. So, I mean, you've got to have that locked down and printing by like, I don't know, midnight. You know, I, I just hey, feel like you don't you can't get that into the press. Technology is apparently very sophisticated on the Hellmouth. Well, it's a Hellmouth. Obviously, obviously, the Sunnydale Press is they run by magical people in a hell. These are demon people who <laughs> predicted the future. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Buffy is struggling with the idea that she has killed a human being. Mm -hmm. She gives us one of the the big quotes of the episode. I'm the Slayer. I had no right to hit him like that. We'll talk about that at the Mm -hmm. end of the episode. Buffy leaves and bumps into Giles in the hallway. The police are investigating and Giles can offer little to no support. He's he's enormously touching in his ineffectiveness. Um, It's a tough scene. In the library, though, Xander has has turned the corner. He is resolved to find out the truth about Ted. He says, with possible double meaning, I sometimes like things that aren't good for me. (laughs) Giles fills a gym bag with slaying supplies while Willow researches on the computer, and Cordelia laments the lack of a fascist society while Xander eats Ted cookies. Giles empathizes with Buffy's guilt, and Cordelia takes the opportunity, as she always will, to remind everyone of Giles' own dark past. (laughs) Giles leaves to patrol, and when Willow complains that Ted has no criminal record, Xander suddenly comforts her. He's very relaxed about the whole thing, right. little He's buddy. He's using this 1950s language, this weird, and Willow looks at the cookie and says, ha! 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 An idea is forming. At Buffy's house, Joyce is sorting Tupperware into a box perfectly normal thing to do she apparently finds it soothing buffy tries to talk to her but joyce just can't she sends buffy instead to her room back in the science lab willow discovers that the cookies are laced with dematorin a tranquilizer cordelia meanwhile has found personal records marriage certificates which surprisingly aren't an immediate red flag to Sandra and willow (laughs) marriage certificates in the plural really you're just gonna breeze past that okay and an address cordelia Mm-hmm. Absolutely saving the day here. This is this she is, is a fantastic. stepping up with the research. She's I making things happen. I feel like someday she should move to the big city and join some kind of private detective I agency. Think possibly, yeah. I think that, I think that's a possible a career for path her. for her. Yeah. Better than motivational speaker for her. I think. <laughs> her personal shopper. Her personal shopper. Giles is patrolling in the park, and Jenny, for some reason, decides it's a good idea to sneak up behind a heavily armed man <laughs> walking alone at night. <laughs> In in vamp, you know, vamp territory. She's so, yes. real lucky that he pulled the crucifix, is all I'm yes. saying, and not the crossbow. <laughs> uh, Jenny tries to apologize, but a vampire looms in the darkness behind her. Buffy is sitting in her room and has run out of patience. She goes to the window, but it's been nailed shut. This day, she says, can't get any worse. In Sunnydale, of course, there is no magic more subtle and dangerous than that of the jinx. Ted is right there in the room. He must have been in there for some time, in fact, since there's no door on that side of the room. But hey, Buffy can't see a thing unless it's right in front of her. I know, it's very sad. Joyce should take her to an optometrist. It's really tough. Yeah, The uh, The framing in this sequence is just... It is. I can't. If they're not I, I in the want shot, to get past it. It's, I just, it's, I can't. It's no There's object permanent. That side of the room, no, and I for know. him to be so close to her, that, that she wouldn't that have he heard was, him. That yeah. Well, not even that, because he can't even be in her right. closet because. There's the bed between the window right. and the closet. Mm-hmm. So he has to be on the window side of the bed. Otherwise, right. he would be further away from her. Mm-hmm. There's literally nowhere for him to hide. Yes. He was just standing there the whole time. Unless we buy some kind of crazy idea where he's lurking under her bed. But even allowing for that, 
How long has she been in that room before she decides to try the window? Right, exactly. Hours have passed and he was just hanging Maybe out. he has some kind of 1950s robot teleportation thing going on. I don't know. <laughs> sure, 1950s robot teleportation. That's your answer That's to a everything. Thing. Sure. <laughs> Quick little throwaway thing here. Uh, that, well, depending on whether or not you uh, have some insight to share this, maybe mm-hmm. a throwaway thing. The window was nailed shut. Mm-hmm. Who nailed the window shut? Joyce. Buffy says that it was Joyce, right? Mm-hmm. But that would imply that Joyce knows that Buffy is sneaking out of her window regularly. That uh-huh. Joyce, even in her drugged, grief-stricken state, right. knows about Buffy's nocturnal excursions. Right. Is well, it- it's possible that Buffy told her that she crawled in and and Ted caught her and like you know gave her that much information on the drive to the cops i don't know i mean i guess there's room for her to have you know it's possible that. it's possible yeah. Yeah. he caught I, me sneaking in through I the think window it's mm-hmm. also possible that ted nailed the window shut it is entirely possible especially um, because apparently the, this room or this house was previously owned by like death metal musicians and they've just soundproofed the hell out of everything <laughs> it is uncanny because let's, let's not even carries. talk about you know peripheral vision let's yeah. talk about a basic sense of like hearing and vibrations in the house <laughs> Our kids roll over in the night and we're like, well, uh, you you're know. saying that because we live in an old house. <laughs> we live yeah. in a, yeah, it's a very old house, but still. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I think my kind of preferred sequence of events is mm-hmm. that Ted climbs in through Buffy's window when yes. he returns to the house, mm-hmm. uh, nails the window shut, mm-hmm. somehow silently does that uh, with his silent nail attachment finger, uh, and then <laughs> conceals himself in some I don't know, invisible armoire that we have I, yet I to I guess, see. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, t- it's, always so it's always so depressing when yeah. there's a production thing in Buffy that you can't get past because normally the production values you know for a show of its type with uh-huh. the budget that it had with the technology it had available um it's it's generally an extraordinarily well produced and mm-hmm. consistent show mm-hmm. it's just these little moments every now and again yeah particularly because god knows there's no reason for it would we really have lost that much yeah if ted had come in through the door at that moment if the door had just opened you know and we hear it shut and then buffy turns around and sees him across the room because there's still enough time for him to advance on her to be enough of a threat yeah her bedroom isn't that big yeah yeah (laughs) as we are though we're left with this this uncomfortable conclusion that really just no no peripheral vision slayer sense is not that tight yeah oh that's interesting does her slayer sense well they've downplayed her slayer sense anyway they have downplayed it and also he's a robot so he's not demonic and he's not a vampire so interesting buffy confronts ted but he throws her across the room we cut to giles and jenny in the park as the vampire attacks giles fights it off jenny struggles with the crossbow meanwhile we cut back to buffy and ted ted pins her against the wall strangling her back in the park jenny fires the crossbow and hits giles in the small of the back but that's nothing to Rupert Giles. He pulls that oh bolt my out God, and like he a badass. That Seriously, that is the most badass thing that Giles has yet done. But that, that might yeah. be the most badass thing that anyone, anyone has, has done ever done in the history yes. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is that is serious business. Yes. Beneath those many layers of tweed beats the heart of a hero. Of a warrior. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Buffy <laughs> cuts Ted's arm open with a nail file and, oh, he's a robot. There's wires just, beneath the skin. He starts to sketch. Yeah. Uh, he kicks Buffy in the face. A particularly brutal piece of of stunt choreography there, mm-hmm. and uh, he knocks her out. Then goes to find Joyce. Meanwhile, Xander, Cordelia, and Willow break into Ted's address and investigate. Ted was married multiple times, starting in 1957. 
Cordelia uses her superpower of interior design to find <laughs> the secret basement. Joyce, meanwhile, took the Tupperware back out of the basement and is sorting through it again because you need to make sure when you're sorting Tupperware yes. that you really do it properly. No, if you don't do it right, it's like folding a map. If you don't do it right, you won't be able to sleep. So the beat is, she's sorting the Tupperware in the box. Yes. At the end of her conversation with Buffy, she sends Buffy to her room. She goes into the basement door. She puts on her headphones and listens to death metal. (laughs) Because she can't hear anything upstairs. When we return to her, though, Mm -hmm. hours later, presumably, she's back in the the same box back upstairs and is storing it again. Kitchen supplies. Yes. This is Joyce is, is slowly going mad. Let's just, think, yeah. Maybe we can chalk it up to the effects of the drug. Let's let's do that. Let, let's chalk as much as we can. The side the effects, effects of this of drug are will make you insane and obsessed with Tupperware, yes. <laughs> uh, Ted is there. He looms in the doorway. He lies to her about what has happened. But hey, she doesn't have to worry anymore. Mm-hmm. Daddy's here. Oh, that is the creepiest uh, thing that anybody has that ever done. The creepiest thing? It's horrible. Yeah. Um, the Scoobies investigate Ted's 1950s mystery bunker, finding relics and eventually Ted's previous mm-hmm. wives. Ted tells Joyce that he came back for her. Joyce tells him that she should talk to Buffy first. This is kind of weird, but Ted begins to lose his temper. He doesn't take orders from women. He's not wired that way as a robot, which is what he is. (laughs) We're really leaning pretty heavy. We we know, Ted. It's okay. Mm, We get it. Uh, In the park, Jenny apologizes for shooting Giles with the crossbow, but he was saved by Tweed for neither (laughs) the first nor the last time. Uh, Jenny gets him to his feet and escorts him very slowly out of the shot. Yes. <laughs> really moving at a snail's pace because we just we can't move the camera that far. Uh, but it's a sweet moment. They they, cute, they laugh yeah. together. There's mm-hmm. there's it's 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 pretty nice. It is. Yeah, I, I, I actually, like the way that Giles is so nice about the fact that she shot him. <laughs> it's kind you of know? adorable. <laughs> He's just like, oh, no big deal. Um, Buffy stirs from unconsciousness downstairs. Joyce suggests that she and Ted have a drink to celebrate, but he wants to get on the road. She doesn't need to pack. He's going to keep bringing her back. She resists, and he pushes her against the wall. Perhaps it's the weak point in the back of the skull. Cause, that's cause caused neurological head, damage that like, limits peripheral vision. Just a, yeah, it may be. There's something it going on inside. Reminded me the gentleness yeah. of the way that Joyce strikes the wall. Reminded yes. me of the gentleness with which Buffy slid into the wall of the ice rink. Yes, in the last it episode, is. it's this it's very gentle little thing. Yeah. Well, when people have to do their own stunts, you have to be careful. You can't, <laughs> no, it's, you can't it's, it's put them in adorable. danger. Yeah, no, it's it is just pretty adorable. Cute. Uh, Ted goes in search of Buffy, who surprises him with a blow to the face with a cast iron skillet. She hits him again, and Ted is dead. Mm-hmm. Next morning, Joyce and Buffy are sitting on the porch for perhaps the first time ever. Have yeah. we ever seen them see sitting them on, on the porch? Do we ever see so. them sitting on the porch again? I think they do it let's, a little more later. Let's keep that for Just for some variety. Uh, right. <laughs> they are talking about their movie plans for the evening while eating just the crunchiest foods I've ever I heard. I think it was some kind of vegetable. I think it was supposed to be. But there were, it was very dark green. I feel I like there was some celery. kind of dispute with the Foley yeah. artists that yeah, day. And they were like, yeah, you won't pay us. You won't give us dental. <laughs> Screw you. We'll make it sound like they're eating the elemental essence of crunch. <laughs> it's the weirdest. 
I mean, it's, it's a nice yeah. scene and whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm getting thrown at again by yes. tiny little production details, but there mm-hmm. it is. That's that's kind of what we do here. That on is Dusted. what we do. Uh, later in school, Xander gives us any exposition that we may have missed. Willow feels bad for the real Tad, who must have been a genius. She didn't keep any big parts of Robotad. Let us <laughs> not speculate on the parts of Robotad that Willow kept. <laughs> she did not keep that part. I'm breezing right past it. There is no graveyard big enough for me to whistle past. Uh, They're going to just forget the whole thing at Buffy's insistence and move on. Move on right past the library, in fact, because Giles and Jenny are kissing. I know. I love this moment, too, where Buffy's like, that's it. I give up. Do I have to have an air sound an air horn every time I walk into a room? And And as our daughters will tell you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, I I thought it was a really cute little bookend to the, you know, to the episode. Um, Very sweet. And I think perhaps unintentionally specific in its reference. Yeah. Because it's not just... Or, or okay, let me run this by you. It feels to me that it's not just the idea of adults kissing. That, it's that it's her around. parents. It's her parents. Yeah, right. It's her. It's it's that relationship with Giles. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really nice. Yeah, no, um, it was really nice and, and kind of oddly heartwarming as mm-hmm. we come. Out. Okay, let's. We're, we're going to get into some of the big kind of crunchy thematic stuff here. Okay. I want to kind of. I want to to lay the path for that discussion just right up front. Yes, I think this is a really bad episode. <laughs> it makes me angry yeah when i'm watching it in Aww. a way that no other episode of buffy has to date Aww. um it's 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 really bad and it's bad mostly because it is so at war with itself mm-hmm. um you can do the buffy kills a human story and in fact we may address that right. issue in the future mm-hmm. um but we're going to do it in a way that is much more thoughtful and mm-hmm. considered than this the, the hard tonal shifts make this episode difficult. The the kind right. of B-movie plot of, you know, Robotad mm-hmm. versus these very real emotional notes of, of you know, Buffy's parental issues, right. Buffy's, you know, uh, her her apparent pain at her absent father, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff, her, her grief, her guilt, all right. of that stuff is handled in a very naturalistic fashion, whereas the rest of it is silly and camp and mm-hmm. light. Um, while also being profoundly uncomfortable. You know, some of the Ted stuff is just really unpleasant. Um, it is really unpleasant. And then we go through this. I mean, one of the things I always talk about with Joss Whedon is that he, he never leaves a consequence on the table. Like, he always... Yeah. But here we have exactly that. Like, yeah. she thinks she's killed a human, but, oh, no, you didn't. It's fine. For, like, 10 you minutes. Know? It's yeah. 10 minutes in the heart of the episode. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing that Joss never does, which I really love about him, is that if, you, if you're going to have something then, you know, you have it. You experience it. We don't, like, make you think you've done something terrible only to say no, you know, in in later moments. Because the fact of the matter is that at that moment, she believed Ted to be a human. So in a sense, even though in in reality he wasn't, that doesn't really make it better. It doesn't really clear it up. It it, it doesn't. It doesn't. The whole thing is, is muddied. Um, and unclear mm-hmm. in a way. We were talking about that, you know, the, the ambiguity and the authorial intent up yeah. front. You know, it's not clear who we're supposed to be siding with. Are we supposed to be on Buffy's side and mm-hmm. kind of aware of the really creeping weirdness yeah. in not just Ted, but, you know, everyone around right. Ted? Mm-hmm. Or are we supposed to be with everyone else and think that yeah. Buffy's being petulant, that she's being, you know... And she's uh, just resisting, yeah, you know, yeah. her mother having a life, a romantic life. Yeah. And it's not clear which of those we're supposed to back and it's not clear which of those is right because then when we come to the the you know quote unquote murder of ted we come to his his uh swan dive down the staircase there 
it's it's not clear again if you want to do the story where Buffy feels guilty because she inadvertently abused her slayer power and killed a human being, yeah. then don't have Ted beat up on her as forcibly as he did. When right. he hits her, when because he slaps her, that was her, self-defense. That first blow yeah. Is and I mean staggering. he's obviously like weirdly strong. And I think that uh, like a human hits Buffy and Buffy's like, "Oh, that's cute." I mean, Obviously, if he hit her and did that kind of damage to yeah. the Slayer, like at that point, she would have to be thinking he's not human. Right. The story that you do under that mm-hmm. circumstance is Buffy's the only one who believes her. The innocence. only one who knows that right. he's not human. And she already. Yeah, that's the story you tell here, yeah. you know, um, because there's no way that Buffy when Buffy gets hit by a demon. I mean, this is a, a girl who has been fighting. She's fought both humans and demons. You know, she knows the difference. You yeah. know, so I mean. I mean, if if somebody hits her that way, she's got to know that he's not. We're also forced to deal here with the idea of a an inordinately lifelike robot, uh, yeah. which is, as I've said before, you know, I, I I have my biggest you know problems with Buffy when it's silly. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lifelike robot, even I mean, doubly a so when you factor in a robot who under the skin is Christmas lights. Yes, you know, how much yeah. does he weigh? I, I can't mean, even. I don't want to speculate about how close he and Joyce have gotten. Um, <laughs> but looking at the machinery under his there skin, are some people who might be interested be in that technology. Hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a light aluminum alloy. <laughs> we had a lot of those in the 1950s. It's we not. Did. It's 1950s technology. It's cast iron and it's asbestos. Cast iron it really is. Asbestos. <laughs> the floorboards of the house right. buckle as he walks past. Um. So that's a silly right. thing in itself. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to take it, you know, seriously. What is gained from making him a robot that you don't gain from making him a demon or a, a demon if you right. want to do the supernatural story mm-hmm. or, you know, an Ethan Rain like, you know, sorcerer, a, a right. user of dark mm-hmm. magics mm-hmm. if you want to do the more human story. Right. There's nothing there's nothing gained by this really weird kind of of and an inconsistent lunge toward well, 1950s again, science fiction. You know, here we are in the iRobot Eugene territory. Yeah. You know, which was another one that had this kind of like weird. It was it was demonic in it was techno demon, but I mean yeah, it was yeah. still like essentially demonic, you know, in nature. Um but it is that kind of weird space where technology sort of crosses this this demonic space because in in the end ted the core of ted the guy who started all this stuff in the 50s um that guy was human you know so i mean he has made himself into like a cyborg but no i I think willow makes it clear at the end of the episode that he he the real human ted was dying so he actually made a robot duplicate he didn't replace his robot duplicate the robo ted is 100 percent robot which opens up a lot of kinds of weird questions would that technology work if it wasn't on the hellmouth what right. what kind of, of magical influence <laughs> right. is bolstering? Are there his... supernatural influences at work, or is this right. you know is this an like a, a human you know technology story? Right, yeah. because if it's a human technological story, we have a really interesting situation where this may be the first 
<laughs> as weird as it is to kind of frame, you know, the story of a vampire slayer versus a robot as being yeah. not supernatural, <laughs> this might be the first episode of Buffy yeah. where the main plot itself contains has no, no supernatural, supernatural elements. elements. Right. Um, that because we have this really this interesting detail that the the drug that Ted uses is just a drug. Right. You know, it's not the suggestion that it's a potion. It's very or a mundane. Spell or, right. Yeah. yeah. It's just so, a tranquilizer. If you accept that the robot, that that real Ted was an absolute genius, that yes. he was centuries ahead of his time, that he somehow managed to make, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was the Sunnydale equivalent of, of Dr. Noonien Sung, a mm-hmm. deep cut Star Trek reference there. He was <laughs> the, the scientist that created data. Um, ah. If you accept that he's, you know, created this enormously lifelike right. robot and that there were no magical influences, then mm-hmm. this is just a story of, of science gone awry. Yeah. Um, which is interesting in itself, but again... Well, and it takes us also out of the realm of fantasy and into the realm of science fiction. So it feels like you've mixed it, your science fiction in my fantasy story. Kind of does. And it doesn't kind of feel right. Well, Buffy isn't against the idea of introducing science fiction ideas, of addressing right. things in that mm-hmm. way. Normally, it's much more on the fantastical side, but mm-hmm. there are moments in later seasons more mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, this idea of... of the story that you're telling there is the robot with the singular mission. Yes. Who kind of is blind to the consequences mm-hmm. of that mission. You're getting into, you know, 2001 territory right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that none of these elements are, are necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. It's just they're all forced together into a story where they don't just fail to work cohesively. Mm-hmm. They're mutually combative. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a, a suitcase that's overstuffed and little pieces of clothes are sticking out. You know, and you right, can't no, really kind of get it all in there, you know? It's a suitcase that's overstuffed with springs and bombs and things <laughs> that are actively working to destroy the suitcase from the inside. It's, to it's, keep it from achieving its essential goal of being a suitcase. Yes. Well, yeah, it's, it's essential Aristotelian perfection Aristotelian. of suitcaseness. The platonic ideal the of suitcasery. Suitcase. Yeah. I like that. All right, let, yes. let's, so, so that's my problem. With mm-hmm. I've talked a great deal about my problems with this story. Why don't you give us a gloss of your thoughts on Ted, and then we'll get into some of this thematic stuff. Um, Ted doesn't bother me quite as much as it bothers you. I expect, I think my expectations of Ted are very, very low. So I go into it and I'm charmed by, you know, Cordelia and like that moment where she and Xander are talking and she's like, Ugh, you know, she makes that horrible sound <laughs> at the thought of the two of them. I love the the floppy disks wrapped yeah. in the elastic band. I think that I, I'm I'm no longer asking anything of Ted other than for it to be just a, a like a Buffy thing that you kind of get through. So for me, it doesn't bother me that much. I've sort of, I think I've made my peace with the stuff that doesn't work in this. And so I try to enjoy the stuff that does or hate on something entirely different, which my big problem uh, with this episode is, is about the, the evolution of Joyce as a parent. Yes. Cause that yeah. is, that is my big stumbling block no, that's uh, in fair. this, in this whole thing. More than, you know, production values, more than, you know, the lack of peripheral vision or any sure. kind of traveling sound. Um, in in Buffy's house at the, at the very stuff. least, sure. exactly. Yeah, I, I will. You know, completely acknowledge that everything that is not Ted, everything mm-hmm. that is not the A plot in this episode, is really good. I really oh, and like I love the Giles and Jenny stuff. Giles and Jenny are really great. sweet. The, the Willow mm-hmm. and Xander stuff is as sweet and adorable yeah. as ever. Mm-hmm. Cordelia emerging from the pack to become MVP, MVP in this episode. She usually just is. Great. That charisma just Carpenter great. can just nail a scene. There's a ton of awesome like a carpenter. Stuff. 
And, and, and like the stuff in the park. <laughs> I even like the scene with Angel, as I yeah. said before. You know, mm-hmm. I like the detail it's a that nice, he's still recovering. Right. We're really investing in our And the way building. that he's talking to her emotionally and connecting with her emotionally. Yeah. It's one of the things that I really like about Angel. Yeah. Is that he has that emotional connectedness. I mean, he is an alpha hero, but he's got those beta qualities, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. All of that stuff is, is really good. It's mm-hmm. really strong. Um, it's it's the Ted stuff that, yeah. that ruins the episode for yeah. me. But let's talk a little about Joyce. Okay. Uh, you wanted to talk about Joyce's role as a mother and the yeah. fact that at least, at least on the surface, she's abominable in this episode. No, she's abominable throughout the series. Like I'm beginning to realize in the same way that we kind of had like people came and said, oh, Xander is terrible because of X, Y, and Z and gave us all these like textual, you know, clues. Um, I'm looking at Joyce now from an entirely different perspective. I'm looking at Joyce from the perspective of a mother rather than as a daughter, because the first time I watched Buffy, I was kind of closer to the daughter experience. My children were very, very young at that point. So I hadn't really gotten into this whole like mothering a human being you know experience and so my expectations of Joyce given that I grew up with a mother who was less than ideal um, (laughs) were really really low you know so um, so looking at it from that like I never really looked at it from the perspective of what I expect from myself as a mother Um, but she's terrible she immediately now I understand in this episode she has been drugged for you know most of this time so her ability to like see things clearly let's ease our way into this because as as you said you know this is a discussion of joyce as a whole and and we're kind of doing this now because there's really not going to be a better time to talk about this version yeah. of 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 Joyce, mm-hmm. not we're not spoiling anything major. Just suffice right. it to say, there will be shifts. Every will occur, character and this is evolves a in a in a show it. that's this long. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that we are doing. I think the comparison with Xander is actually perfectly applicable. Yeah. I think that we are. We've fell in love with later season Xander, with yeah. later season Joyce. Mm-hmm. And when you come back to these early seasons, we have been backfilling our understanding of these characters and yeah. excusing their eccentricities, excusing mm-hmm. in some cases their awfulness. Right. Uh, because we know who they are, in a sense, right. at their core. We have, we have the whole sense of who they are. But at this right. point in, in the story of Buffy, we're in mid-season two of Buffy, and Joyce is possibly one of the worst mothers. Yeah. She is narcissistic and awful, and she doesn't see things from Buffy's point of view. She chooses a man she's been dating for not terribly long over her daughter immediately. Was it school hard a mere eight episodes ago where we had yeah. that conversation about... I just, I don't want to be disappointed in you again. I don't want to that be disappointed terrible, in you That terrible, terrible moment where she did that. Oh. And aside from that, I mean, let's just look at the fact that her daughter is... is you know, breaking out of her room yes. every night. And, <laughs> and Joyce, Joyce is has spending no weeks in idea. LA. And yeah. Joyce is wandering around, gallivanting around the countryside. Okay. Not she's not home. She's not present. To she's speak not, in her defense. Yeah. It can't be cheap living in Sunday. Oh, I don't I, maybe it's very cheap living in Sunday Maybe property prices are so low because of the hell no, and a that. single mother for a song. She's right. trying to build a business. She's try- and it's always unclear. You know, we keep talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this this gallery like it's a, an existing business, but it's also not clear right. what kind of commitment mm-hmm. there is there, you know. Yeah. Um so she's trying to run this business. She's trying to keep this family together. She's trying to provide a stable home environment. I don't think we question her intention. 
but certainly her, no, she's her ability is is kind of shaky. Well, no, I mean the thing is that like yes, she's a working single mother, and there is nothing harder than that. I can't even imagine. I have been lucky to not really be in that circumstance for terribly long. Um, but uh, but I mean it's it's really hard, and working yeah. single mothers have to spend a lot of time away from their kids. But this is at night. She's either not there or has no idea that her daughter is sneaking out. I mean, sneaking out once or twice, you're going to get away with it as a kid. Every single night, that's a parent who just doesn't care. Not to mention the fact, and I mean, this is the thing, like, I was like, is she not noticing all the grass stains and blood in her daughter's clothing and rips and like all this kind of stuff? At the same time, though, you know, Buffy's 16 and, uh, you know, and any parent can be excused for making your kid do their own laundry at 16. Let me offer... I'm not sure like how how completely I subscribe to this theory, but mm-hmm. let me offer an alternative perspective and see how this works out for you, which is that Joyce is actually much more aware mm-hmm. of what Buffy does than she has indicated thus far. You're right. The idea that she's not aware of of blood stains and, and grass yeah. stains at the very least, you know, it's the hell getting vampire dust out of a pair of jeans. You exactly. Know? Yeah. She must know that Buffy sneaks out at night. She must know, presumably, about the hope chest of weaponry. That, that, that Buffy keeps in her room. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Joyce, because at the same time, right. Joyce has met Willow and Xander. Mm-hmm. She knows that Buffy actually just spends all her time hanging out with these, you know, yeah. polite, these well-adjusted, kids, right? well-meaning They do the geeks. round robin. I'm staying at Willow's. Right. I'm staying at Xander's. All this kind of stuff, right? She also knows that, that Buffy has fallen under the tutelage and guidance of Giles. Mm-hmm. She's aware of that relationship. She's aware that Buffy spends a lot of time in the library. Yeah. And we're going to look a little at the specifics of those relationships mm-hmm. next episode. Um, is it possible that Joyce... Well, obviously not knowing about the supernatural element of, of, of Buffy's nocturnal activities. Is it possible that she's kind of monitoring Buffy with a much lighter hand? Is it yeah. possible that she, particularly after school hard, after the events there, you know? Right, where she knows, she knows her daughter is capable. And there is a certain point where, and it's right about 16, where you should be giving your kids more freedom and more ability. But you should also be present and be aware and be concerned and the thing also that i hate about this is that buffy comes to her and granted i know she's eating the sticky buns it's that morning she's pouring the orange juice and buffy says he threatened to hit me and joy says no 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 and then she says it's not exactly like men beat down the door when you're a single parent she immediately goes into guilt tripping buffy for being the reason why she can't have a life i'm going to defend that one line you can't i think no i can and i think that it's that the drugs make you susceptible to suggestion and that doesn't sound like joyce as much as it sounds like ted i wonder how much of that is a line that ted has told her again and again to 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 reinforce for me this is this is not mind control this is like influence this is a tranquilizer it is not complete mind control no, the only so, evidence that we have though of the efficacy of this this tranquilizer yeah. is that scene in the library when xander goes from furious you know avenging angel of yeah. justice right. to completely mellow but chill he's still 50s xander dude. he's still on buffy's side he is right. you know exuding like enthusiasm all over willow which is very sweet but that's but he's the still consequence xander but that's the consequence of like a quarter of a cookie. That also happens yeah, in like 10 seconds. Immediately, right. If yeah, and she's Ted been and getting... and Joyce have yeah. been dating for weeks. He's been drugging her quite a he's bit. He's been drugging her constantly. Okay, and you know what? And we also Fair see, enough, but it's not 
mind control. And no. she and the guilt trips that she does on Buffy, this is not the first time no, that we've seen that right. happen. You're absolutely right. That's not the first time. Right. I, for me, that line falls more into the category of, you know, the 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 refusal to acknowledge the allegation. Right. Uh, when, when the detective implies that... Uh, Ted didn't hit Buffy very hard because there's not a mark and, and mm-hmm. you know, all the uncomfortable associations that go along with that. I think for me, that's an uncomfortable association mm-hmm. line more than it's, you know, a conscious well, piece of story. Yeah. Thing. And that Buffy went to her mother and said, and she was dismissed yeah. then saying yeah. that he, he said he was going to hit me, um, which I find thing- really disturbing from the perspective of a mother that, you know, you, you take your kid's side in a situation like that. You know, no, I mean, if, I, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that between the drug and the the kind of, as I said, the, the unintended implication. Mm-hmm. Um, while I completely agree with you, I think that between the drug and the unintended implication, I think there's just enough wiggle room there that it doesn't necessarily I think condemn. You can cut to, her a little side, and also the yeah. fact that when the cop asks, yeah. she. You know, she tries to cover for Buffy. Right. So, so there is the, that. These are the big two points that I wanted to bring up kind of in defense of Joyce in this episode. The first is exactly that. Mm-hmm. Even under the influence of the drug, even when this grief is is new and raw, mm-hmm. her first instinct is to protect Buffy. Yeah. But then when they're driving home, she won't talk to Buffy. Like, here is the thing. Like, yeah, I, get, I appreciate that your boyfriend died, but your daughter is going through something. Sure. We you get need to two like, talk seconds to that kid. in the car. We but, don't which know indicates that, they didn't that the talk. entire, yeah. I mean, yeah. the two seconds basically indicate that the entire drive home was nothing but silence. Okay. I, I'll you know? see that, that, and, that is at least the intent we're supposed to draw and the scene yeah. later in the kitchen, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, but the other thing that makes me kind of moderate my opinions of Joyce, mm-hmm. which I got to say, for clarity, are not terribly far away from yours. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. we're, we're pretty close together on this um the other thing that makes me kind of moderate my my opinions a little is the fact that when ted returns Mm -hmm. joyce is already you know the effects of the drug having worn off Mm -hmm. or or at least you know they're less intense than once they were joyce is already much more protective of buffy and not just of buffy's physical safety but of her emotional Mm well-being when ted comes back spins her the story and joyce is like oh okay you're alive i guess and that's completely fine she says, I should talk to Buffy first. No, no, no. Her first response when he comes back isn't, I should go talk to Buffy. It's, oh, Ted, Buffy didn't mean to hurt you. She is concerned with his response well, to Buffy. That's the Rather conversation. than Buffy, oh my God, Buffy didn't kill somebody. I need to tell her right now. I think there's I'm going to ditch your robotic ass in the kitchen <laughs> while I deal with my kid. I think there's a difference between the conversation that you're having right now and the mm-hmm. conversation you're going to have in 10 seconds. No, I think it's her, okay first, her first response is, is to say, you know, is to care about what Ted thinks about what Buffy did rather than to care about what Buffy's feeling at that moment. And that is her first immediate knee-jerk response. It is only in the next scene when we come back where she says, I want to talk to Buffy first. Well, I mean, it's the next scene in as much as we cut away from it, but it's a continuation of the same scene. I mean, it's only a few seconds later. And Buffy's not in the room. Given that Joyce has already got some damning evidence against her that is outside of this episode where she was drugged. No, you're right. I I think there's a long way to go from, from, you know, Joyce is a a dedicated, you know, principled, hardworking woman who is also, you know, a Mm -hmm. role model of modern femininity, a role model of independence and of strength that we'll see in episodes and seasons to come mm-hmm. there's while there's <laughs> while she diverges from that i don't think she tumbles quite as far as as 
You seem to think that she does. I, I yeah, wouldn't say that I'm she's starting to have a real mother. hard turn against Joyce. And so I don't I don't know going forward. Like I didn't have this response to her at all, all the right. first time I watched it. Let's try going forward. We'll see how that how that Let's moves. Track but how right that works now, out. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, perhaps the biggest kind of thematic issue presented yeah. to us in this episode. But but let's access it. Uh, from a slightly different perspective, mm-hmm. okay? I want to talk about Ted and I want to talk about, you know, the murder of a human and all of that yeah. stuff. But I want to get there th- via the park. Let's go via the park. Okay. Because we have this scene at the beginning of the episode where Buffy just just beats up on that vampire mm-hmm. to kind of expel her stress and her tension. That scene is presented lightly. You know, mm-hmm. we've got Giles giving uh, uh, giving us a little play by play as as Buffy's wailing a little on, stammering on the uh, uh, Buffy with the, uh, 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 with yeah. the trash can lid, mm-hmm. and and we're obviously supposed to think you know it's a light moment, and then we return to it when she's waiting on the swings, hoping that a right. vampire comes by so she mm-hmm. can work out some of her some of her issues. Vampires are demonic. They are necessarily evil. They must be slayed. That mm-hmm. is a truth of the Buffyverse, and that's that's perfectly fine, all except Angel, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they also feel pain. Yes. Is it okay that Buffy beats up on, pummels, effectively... Takes out her aggression Effectively upon... tortures yeah. a vampire in order to relieve her stress? Is that is that a moral thing with which we are comfortable? Gosh, you know, that's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's one of the things that Giles in this, it's played for a joke, but Giles is like, well, perhaps, you know, you don't need to like, you know, torture them first. Though you feel as though, you know, Giles is more concerned with, with efficiency yes. than he is with, yes. you know, the moral the, With the moral implications of, of torturing something, even if it must die, the least you can do is give it a clean is and give it simple, a quick death, as, right. as, as clean and painless and quick a death as possible. Yeah. I think that there is a, a moral efficiency here um, and, uh, and a question about, you know, torturing, torturing something that's going to die. Yeah. Like, you know. We can appreciate, to, to kind of, you know, cast this in a real world, mm-hmm. uh, a real world model. We can appreciate, you know, the the necessity of, of perhaps, you know, killing a fox in a hen house. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is right. not an unapt metaphor yeah. for vampires in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we would draw the line if the farmer, you know. Tortured it. Beat the fox to death. Right. You know, as slowly and kind of indulgently as possible. Yeah. Um, I think we would feel very differently about it. Well, I, I think we tell have you, a general uncomfortable. Yeah, it we have a general moral response to you know to the necessary killing, yeah. you know, the necessary deaths that we do them as quickly and painlessly as possible. Which um, is the duty part of the Slayer. The Slayer's right. duty is not to is not the Slayer's duty is not even to like kill vampires, as mm-hmm. as silly as that may sound. The Slayer's duty is to ensure that there are fewer vampires. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. The moral obligation is the the removal of the vampire, not the killing of the vampire. If that makes if that makes well, sense. Well, that killing is the only way to remove the vampire. Otherwise, you're just shuffling it off to somebody else's town. No, but yeah. if if Buffy could efficiently, you know, kill if vampires from a distance, she could de-vampire people. If button, she could, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, if if she could remotely kill vampires, mm-hmm. you know, in in a completely safe and, right. and you know understood way. The obligation of the Slayer's duty is to do that. There's right. no kind of, there's no compunction on her to enter into, you know, Physical honorable one-on-one combat, one combat right. with mm-hmm. these vampires, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I'm I'm really not sure how I feel. And, and this is another example, of course, about this episode warring with itself. Right. Because that's a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. The interesting idea of, of Buffy releasing her tension, of even, you know, getting a certain euphoric high right. from fighting vampires. Enjoying the kill. Exactly. Right. That's a really interesting road yeah. that we could go down. Mm-hmm. 
But here, we nod at it. We play we, it off as a we joke. We play it off as a joke. more concerned mm-hmm. with other things. Unfortunately, those other things are also connected to, you know, Buffy exercising her Slayer skills and yeah. strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though these are just, you know, discrete things that don't interact. Mm-hmm. These are very tightly bound issues. Um, and I'm not comfortable with the kind of... <laughs> I'm not comfortable that this episode offers us any singular view on, on the morality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um of course, in a sense, this episode doesn't strive to give us a single moral view uh, because we get two different takes on Buffy's Slayer power. Let's kind of frame this with, with mm-hmm. the two perspectives that we're given and then, you know, discuss which side we come down on. Um, <laughs> Buffy says that, that she has no right to kill a human being. She's the Slayer. Right. Mm-hmm. Cordelia offers the opposing viewpoint, which is she's the Slayer. Special circumstances apply. Right? Shouldn't she have different rules to govern her behavior. And while I think it's clear Cordelia is talking about laws, right. we can extend that to, you know, moral rules. Mm-hmm. Um, which of those two viewpoints works better for you? A Buffy's. Yeah. Buffy's. She's the slayer. She has exceptional power. With exceptional power comes exceptional responsibility. It is her job to use that power wisely. If you get into a situation where there are special rules for Buffy, then she becomes, her power becomes unchecked. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel compelled to kind of take the devil's advocate position and it. kind of offer yeah. just the perspective that Buffy would be capable of, you know, if you take the utilitarian argument, you know, mm-hmm. where, where your your sole kind of moral metric is the maximization of happiness. Yes, you know, yes. Of, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, you, you do all that you can to create maximum happiness, no matter Well, I means. mean, that's also all morality comes down to what do you measure morality by? You know, is it the maximum happiness? Is it the maximum good? Is it the, you know, like, I mean, that's that's a whole other. Right. But this kind of, this kind of utilitarian consequentialism gets right. us to, you know, the end's always justify the means Mm -hmm. as long as the ends are sufficiently good Mm -hmm. you could argue that buffy could if buffy ruled sunnydale like a tyrant Mm -hmm. if she demanded tribute if she demanded you know that that she lives in the most exclusive penthouse suite of the best hotel in Mm -hmm. sunnydale and who the hell knows the way this town keeps growing there could be you know who knows a a ritz or (laughs) anything in 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 sunnydale now she could the hellmouth astoria yeah There. I was racking my brain going for the joke. You found it. There it is. The Hellmouth Astoria. There I love go. it. If someone would like to mock us up, uh, uh, I don't know, Hellmouth some kind of logo Astoria. for that. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we'll get it printed on t-shirts. I'm not, I'm not above that kind of thing. <laughs> the Hellmouth Astoria. All right. Um, <laughs> Buffy could rule Sunnydale like a tyrant. She could demand a, a suite in the Hellmouth Astoria. Mm-hmm. She could demand that, that the people of Sunnydale pay her tribute mm-hmm. in exchange for her protection and freed from the bonds of normal life you could argue that she could actually affect more good if she's freed up and doesn't have to worry about homework or earning Mm -hmm. a living or anything else and she can just dedicate herself to exterminating the vampiric scourge to, to, to fighting demons of all forms to really waging an active war against the hellmouth and its influence you could argue that she could accomplish more good than she can when she can basically, you know, yeah. fight the forces of evil between, you know, twilight and midnight. She could also, you know, do a lot more damage. I mean, she's an incredibly powerful figure. And without a check on that power, a check which comes from her, 
from her internally. And I think that her living a normal life, living among the people that she's saving, living, living among them and understanding them and having a respect for them and for humanity and for the difference between demonic evil and, and human evil. Um, I think that that in of itself, the only real check on Buffy's power is going to come directly from Buffy's sense of morality. Yeah. So I think that the, you know, for me, I side completely with Buffy. I appreciate that Cordelia, you know, wants to give Buffy um, special something special. And I also do think that, you know, and somebody brought this up. I like, I think on one of the websites or one of our, our the forum or something, which, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but brought up this really, really smart thing that like, okay, so they apparently have enough funding to like pay the watchers to be watchers because that's their job, but they can't pay a slayer. They can't find some kind of, everybody can't kick in a couple of bucks and Patreon a slayer. I mean, come on, you know? Well- is, uh, do the watchers get paid? I mean, I mean, Giles works as a, a school job. librarian. He does have a day job. He does. Um, is it the, is it a is it a calling or is it? But they have a watchers council. They have that. Well, they will. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow, skipping ahead in the time. Sorry, that's sorry. a spoiler. I don't zone. think that's a major spoiler. Is that a major because secret? Because when it yeah. shows up, it shows up out of nowhere. Yes. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For what it's worth, I'm with you. I, I'm completely with Buffy on this. I, I do like the recognition that Cordelia would believe that exceptional rules should exploit should apply to exceptional people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that if you're special enough, you're different. Yeah. Uh, that seems entirely compatible with Cordelia's worldview. Absolutely. But I tend to subscribe to the idea that it is not, you know, Krypton that makes Superman Superman. Mm-hmm. It's Kansas. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. not his exceptional power that makes him the hero that he is, it's the context in which he learned to use that power. Right. It's mm-hmm. his sense of of morality and community and culture. And yeah, I generally am very uncomfortable with the idea that in order to protect our societies, we must step out with those societies. Right. You know, mm-hmm. If you can't protect your community while adhering to and obeying the rules, the laws, the moral imperatives of that community, then you're not protecting anything. You Mm -hmm. become immediately the enemy. Yeah. And of course, that's a moral argument that that has a great deal of applicability Mm -hmm. now. Right. Mm -hmm. 15 years after uh, Buffy aired. It's, It's an interesting debate. As I said, I think that the biggest failing of Ted is that it f- it fails resolutely and consistently to address and explore this idea mm-hmm. while purporting to do exactly that. Right. You know? mm-hmm. The gloss of this episode is Buffy thinks she killed a human and has to deal with the consequences. Right. And she really does think she killed a human. And her behavior, even though later on they find out that it's a robot, that's still something that she does need to question. Right. But in the reality of the episode, that mm-hmm. is undercut in every way possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And in some of the least interesting ways, Paul. Yeah. While there is a ton of interesting stuff to talk about with regard, there's, there's a fair amount of missed opportunity here to really kind of yeah. explore this on a deeper, in a deeper space, and in, in a more consistent space. You yeah. Know? Not only, you know, this could be a prime opportunity to explore this ongoing division mm-hmm. that we see at the heart of Buffy between demonic evil and human evil, the right. exact ways in which those two things differ and the implications that they have for the Slayer. If right. Buffy is, you know, following this hard and fast rule that the Slayer doesn't kill humans, then presenting her with a uniquely human evil mm-hmm. would be a really great way of exploring some of this space. It is a really interesting and way to do that. And if you make Ted an Ethan Rain style, you know, mm-hmm. he's just human, but right. he's profoundly corrupt. Mm-hmm. If you make that the basis of this episode, then you get to explore this in a functional way that you don't get to do because well, he's also, he's a right. scary robot. How how does Buffy, you know, 
find justice because her, you know, her role is to, you know, to protect, you know, but I mean, like when you've got a situation where you've got a human, a human malevolence that you need to protect people from, you know, I mean, how is that different from dealing with a demonic malevolence? How is that, you know, a demonic malevolence is so much simpler. You just kill them. Because there's well, no value, you know? Or do you? I mean, that's only because we've stipulated that demons are fundamentally evil. Inherently evil. Right. So mm-hmm. because they are inherently evil, we're allowed to murder them with impunity. Right. That's complete. Or to slay them. Excuse yes. me. With impunity. No, no, no. It's okay to slay, say nil to kill. Yeah. Because oh, when, like when you slay. Another t-shirt. When it's, I'm You're a machine. You, I'm just popping this stuff out <laughs> left and right. Um, no, because when, when it's a demon, it's a slay. When it's a human, it's a kill. Yeah. You know, so that's a different thing. So we slay demons because they're fundamentally and and irretrievably evil. Mm -hmm. We don't slay or kill humans because they're not. Right. But isn't it possible that an individual human being can be irretrievably evil? Is it not possible that in an individual But we have a justice system that deals with... I mean, that's the other thing, too. We We don't don't have a system of justice for the demons because our system of justice can't handle them. So, you know, the police and Do you think our system of justice could handle, you know, Ethan Rain, let alone Ripper? Well, you know, I mean, there's... Yeah, fair enough. Buffy is is 100% human. Could Mm -hmm. our system of justice handle Buffy? Yeah. If she had actually been tried with, with Ted's death? If she had gone to jail, would that have been just with the ability to break out at any time just by, you know, bending the bars? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's a really interesting question, but it's something we don't get close enough to, you know, with any consistency in Ted. Yeah, which is the huge failing Mm -hmm. uh, of of this episode. All right. We are going to uh, preserve, I think, the rest of this discussion for the spoilers. There are a couple of things that we want to talk about with regard to to future episodes, and we'll do that after the music. Don't worry. As ever, your dusted will stay spoiler-free, at least until that that closing stage. You hear that music, then that's it. But before that, we have work to do. Yes. We have a sacred duty of our own. We have to put Ted on the list of every Buffy episode ever. Wow. Last week, we had a major upset as we Prophecy did. Girl was dethroned from the top of the list by What's My Line 1 mm-hmm. and 2. Where are we putting Ted? Where are we putting Ted? Well, I don't let know. Me, I mean, I think you would put Ted. Would you put Ted below the movie? Well, let me give you an interesting uh, bit of, of connectivity here, okay. which is the very bottom of the list. Way down there, even below Teacher's Pet, yes. we have I Robot You Jane. Yes. Which is the lowest episode of Buffy uh-huh. on our list. That is the worst episode of Buffy that we've seen so far. Right. The only thing lower than that is the movie. Yes. I cannot, in good conscience, suggest that we put Ted higher than I Robot You Jane. Okay. <laughs> the only discussion for me, and, and feel free to fight against me, as I'm sure you will. Yes. The only discussion for me is whether Ted is worse than the movie. I don't think so. Here's why I don't think so. Okay. The monster of the week element is incredibly weak. It's just not good. Um, and there are a lot of things that are bad about that. But this is Greenwald and Whedon. There are other moment-to-moment things in this. The the Giles and Jenny stuff. The Cordelia stuff. Um, you know, Xander does a great job in this. There's a lot of really, really nice things. Xander and Cordelia... Um, there's a lot of really good stuff happening here. Um, and I think that it is, it's still better than the movie. I would put it below I, Robot, Eugene, but I would put it better than the movie. 
Does it suffer, and I'm raising this as a genuine question, mm-hmm. does it suffer more because it is Greenwald and Whedon? And our expectations we, are so much Should we higher? judge this more harshly because we know what these guys are capable of? We know that Whedon's With script, exceptional power comes exceptional responsibility. Whedon's script was bastardized <laughs> into the movie. You know, it, was, right. it was chopped. It was, mm-hmm. it was purposefully misunderstood. It was willfully deconstructed mm-hmm. uh, to make the movie. But it wasn't here. This was their actual intent. Right. This was this was the show that they were happy to make and put out. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be judged more harshly because of that? No, because that is an element that is out with the story. That is not about the story, how the story is told, the script itself. That has to do with our expectations of these exceptional writers. Um, in the end, if you're talking about where this lands based on the storytelling itself. Fair. That's that's fair. We didn't give What's My Line extra credit because right. you know Martin Oxen came in and this was her first script. Right. That that's that's fair. Um are, are you comfortable? I mean, I'm slotting it in here. I kind of, you know, very neatly dodged the question of, of where it should go on the list by telling you that you had two choices. Are you comfortable <laughs> with the idea that Ted is worse than iRobot You Jane? Would you put it higher? Uh, would I put it higher than iRobot You Jane? You know, I might. Really? I might. Because iRobot You Jane just didn't have any of the the charm and sweetness that we ha- that we have but there's the the skill of the moment to moment writing you know the oh, book ending of the the parental kisses some, the- there's some moment to moment stuff in our robot you jane there's some stuff with willow that's very cute there, there are some bits and pieces in that episode yeah um i robot you jane doesn't fight against its own concept the way that Ted does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't betray a fundamental misunderstanding of what it's trying to do. What I robot It doesn't Eugene, miss an opportunity. It doesn't leave a consequence on the table. No. It doesn't. Okay, I robot Eugene is dumb. Fair it's enough. really dumb. Yeah. And it's not, even within the framework of that dumbness, it's not executed terribly yeah. well. Um, but it doesn't misapprehend its own intent mm-hmm. the way that Ted does. It doesn't have any of this profoundly uncomfortable stuff. And this isn't perhaps terribly fair because I'm right. coming at it with a 2014, 2015 Very, perspective. Yeah, true. But, um, you know, but, but the there stuff is about a lot of, of a girl claiming that a yes. man attacked her and being yes. told And no, being ignored right. by both her mother or, or at and least the having that allegation downplayed by her mother exactly. and the police. That's uncomfortable stuff. That is, yeah. But that is um, also definitely a, a modern perspective. I don't think that was at all what they intended when they when they wrote this story perhaps, perhaps. um but uh, but, but okay. we judged we okay. judged the pack you know on, right. its, on its sexual politics yeah from a 2014 perspective we certainly I think did didn't we some of this stuff from fair a 2015 enough. perspective fair um, enough and i think that um okay I'll, I'll give it to you i I will put it above the movie but below i robot you jane i'm gonna give you this one i i, I honestly i don't feel strongly enough I, I genuinely think that at least right now I would rather watch the movie than, than watch Ted again. But yeah. I'll I'll accept that that's mostly just because I'm so infuriated. And you're mm-hmm. right. You know, the movie doesn't even have the movie as it appears on screen doesn't have the potential. And part of my frustration with Ted is that it does have the potential. You've got John everything was there. You have sake. your power team. You have Bruce, Bruce, Seth Green, who I can yeah. never say his his name because it always <laughs> Bruce. I always want to call him Bruce. Bruce, um, Bruce Green, who um, who is you know an established director who yeah. absolutely knows what he's doing, who gives us you know like and no peripheral vision and like deafness throughout the house. Yeah. Like with the exception, yeah. well, I, I would say that with the exception of that lack of peripheral vision, with the exception yeah. of that action blocking with 
with the exception of the sequence, uh, the mm-hmm. fight sequence where where Ted right. tumbles down the stairs. Apart from that, it's actually pretty good. And there's some it's striking camera directed, work, particularly yeah. mm-hmm. in the aftermath of yeah. Ted's death, when mm-hmm. we have you know uh, Joyce being questioned outside right. Buffy's house. We mm-hmm. have the scene in the police station. We have Buffy being interviewed by the detective. Right. While there's some weakness in the writing through mm-hmm. that, it's directed beautifully. It is directed beautifully, but but still, I expect a little bit more. Uh, yeah, from no, that's from, from Ruth and uh, and you have Joss and, and David Greenwald and yeah. just you you know your expectations are really high in All right. circumstance like that it's going in 21st on the list okay. this is canonically the worst objectively absolutely we will fight you this is the worst episode <laughs> of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that we've seen so far yeah, which, you know, grading on a carpet like you know it's like even bad pizza is good pizza you know like <laughs> I don't know. There's bad pizza in the world. Uh, do we think that that it's going to remain at the bottom of our list? I don't know. I don't know because my experience of these, I mean, my memory is so different from my experience yeah. in the moment. I mean, Ted actually fit pretty much exactly where I expected it to fit. As it did for me too. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but I mean, a lot of times I have memories of something that is based on a monster of the week that isn't so great, but the rest of the episode is just incredible. No, it's been striking yeah. actually to date uh, throughout the 20-some so episodes that we've watched guess. so far. Mm-hmm. I, I've always... I've consistently been surprised, uh, positively surprised by the quality of the episodes. Um, but yeah, this one, this one was pretty much exactly how I remembered it and, and problematic in all the ways that we've discussed at great length. That, I think, is that. I would like, before we wrap up today, to thank sincerely all of our wonderful patrons who have supported us over at patreon.com slash storywonk. There, these valiant souls have, have sallied forth to pledge us a dollar a month or whatever they can afford and helped us make new shows. New episodes of Dusted, certainly. New episodes of The Scott and the Sassanach, our Outlander podcast, mm-hmm. absolutely. A new podcast, you say? <laughs> well, yes, we have a new podcast, and it aired last Monday. The Light Bulb is our new flagship show at Storywonk. It is a half-hour pop culture show in which we discuss really any topic that takes our fancy. If you are interested in in the arts, the stories, the technologies, the ideas that underpin, that define, that illuminate our society, then you can't afford to miss The Light Bulb. That is our new show. You can find that over on Storywonk.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, anywhere. That, that good podcasts are served up to your earbuds. Uh, it's a really fun show. I'm having a blast recording it. It's and, a good time. I'm glad to get back into that kind of discussion. When we shuttered Story Wonk Sunday, we sort of shut that part of like that general pop culture discussion yeah. you know, out of our rotation. I'm real glad to have it back. No, as am I. Yeah. As am I. It's, it's a ton of fun. And as I said, you can find that over on storywonk.com. The light bulb brought to you courtesy of our amazing patrons. You guys are incredible. It is a blast always to see your feedback, your response, your correspondence about each one of these episodes of Dusted. You can reach us by emailing podcast at storywonk.com. You can find us on Twitter at storywonk for both of us, at mm-hmm. Lonnie Diane Rich for Alani and at Paper Bullets for me. You can come and pester us and, and force us to defend our opinion of Ted online. <laughs> we will be back next week with some discussion of bad eggs. Until mm-hmm. then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. Stay tuned for the spoilers after the music. But until next week, this is dusted. So be warned, here be spoilers. <laughs> Just a couple of quick things this yeah. week. Of course, the introduction of lifelike robots to the Buffyverse. Yeah, which is um, something we'll come back with. Yeah, We will. It's basically my least favorite recurring theme, theme yeah. 
Um, we have like you know, we have vampires, we have demons, mm-hmm. we have magic, uh, mm-hmm. and we have robots. And right. the robots are they never work for me because I get hung up on the technology of it all. Right. I get hung up on on the you know how is a robot that realistic? Can you really not tell? Can you really, really? Yeah, especially with the technology when when you're getting your information, your computer stuff on floppy disks held together with a rubber band, <laughs> like the idea that you can have a, you know, a, a realistic, uh, you know, humanoid robot yeah. uh, feels a little weird. It also feels like there is this clash between science fiction and fantasy. And, and Buffy is a fantasy story yeah so when you bring science fiction elements into it um you know it it feels weird it feels like oil and water it feels yeah. like they're kind of fighting their elements that right. fight against each other a little bit if you made all the robots in buffy magical golems yeah if you just you know waved your hand over it rather than saying oh no they're, they're just Brought completely mechanical magic. and not supernatural right. at all mm-hmm. which is why the only way that i can get through these stories is by by just assuming this influence of the hellmouth right you, know? you mm-hmm. see yeah these robots wouldn't work anywhere else if on it wasn't for the hellmouth. You kind of have right? to do that, do a little headcanon, yeah. you know, to kind of make that work. But by far the most interesting thing that I want to discuss and flag up here in the spoiler section, and I'm not 100% <laughs> sure that I'm right. I have searched. I have looked online yeah. to find out if this is true and to confirm it as best I can. Ted's office yes. that Xander and Willow and Cordelia break into, that is the magic that's box That's the magic set, box. Right? No, that's absolutely the magic box. As a matter of fact, I will argue that the carpet that Cordelia calls out <laughs> is in the magic box later on. It's yeah. crazy. No, because they've got that, that window up yeah, front, yeah. that curved window. The proportions and look right. The, everything it's all, is yeah. it's all the same. But I can't imagine a circumstance in which they just had a storefront yeah. Like that, you know, just laying around. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back years later. It, it's... I don't know. I mean, I think they just had the set and it was pretty and they decided I, to use it. I wonder it, yeah. if it's one of these like inconsequential miscellaneous sets mm-hmm. that they actually have in rotation. Right. That only maybe. gets really purposed for the magic box in season six. I'm yeah. wondering if it's going to show up, you know, once a season from here on out. And I've just I never noticed know. it before. I don't know. But I find it kind of interesting that, the, I mean, that is the magic box wherever they were. <laughs> that that space is Giles' magic box from season five. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that again. And I want to see if I can spot that carpet. Yeah, because I oh, think we will I think be watching it's there. with with eagle eyes, and we know I'm that there's sure. a trap door going down. Uh, which is to return very quickly to to the uh, to the matter of robots. I yes. kind of talked over you there a little bit. What is your opinion of the robots? Do you like that that whole? It, the robots always series. feel weird because, to me, but I do actually like them when they come up later. Like I like Warren's robot girlfriend yeah. in I think it's season four, and and Ted yeah. isn't referenced. There's no kind no, of conscious we don't go connection. Back made. to Ted again. We don't really. I, I think it's one no. of these things that we just you know let's not speak of it. <laughs> Willow does have Ted parts. Yeah gross if willow does have ted parts laying around that would perhaps explain why she's so adept at repairing at repairing the buffy bot right mm-hmm. much later yeah right. now they build the buffy bot when okay remind me of this is it warren that builds the buffy bot warren builds the buffy bot originally and yeah. then willow repairs the buffy based bot on the to technology the slayer, right based right? on the technology that yeah. he did building his girlfriend so at least we have like a source of of you know like realistic and robots. I, I don't think that I don't think that they name check Ted at any point or even refer to. I don't think to, they, they never speak of not, it again. Not in my memory. And anyway. let's never speak of it again. Because the thing is that, okay, <laughs> if, if the magic box is that same storefront, which, I mean, th- they definitely use the same set, whether in the fiction it is the same storefront. Like, uh, neither Xander nor Willow nor Cordelia ever, although Cordelia is not there at that point, but ever, like, you know, 
mention the fact that this is where all of Ted's dead wives were and yeah. this is the the you know the same space where Who Ted did his stuff downstairs. somebody cleaned out the stuff right. downstairs and I mean the magic box has a basement but they don't go down into like through a trap door at any point so <laughs> apparently somebody went through cleaned it all out burned a little sage they had a business there for a couple of years maybe it was like a bookstore or whatever um, and then they sold it to Giles I do have a vague and I, I'm probably wrong but i do have a vague memory of it being something that was in the universe like it was a store that they visited it was a magic store somebody else owned the magic store and then and then giles just picked it up in season five but that magic store is there earlier I genuinely it don't may remember. even be as early as season three you but know i have people a memory are going to email us and tell us people are going to email us and tell us <laughs> guys thank you so much for your discretion of yes. course for mm-hmm. your support of of the new spoiler zone we got a lot of very positive feedback from yeah, people saying it's yeah. Really nice to, I'm glad uh, you guys are to have permission it. to kind of talk about some of this stuff. That's great. I would urge you, of course, as always, to to exercise that discretion when you're talking about this stuff mm-hmm. uh, on the forum or or on Twitter openly, because there are a great. Can we number open of up people. the spoiler zone uh, on the forum? That is exactly what we should. That's do. That's what we should do. We that should have exactly a spoiler zone uh, thing on the forum. So we'll put by that the up. time you hear this, dear yes. listener, I will have opened up already through the magic of editing. I will have already <laughs> opened up a spoiler zone on the forum right. where we'll we'll just post whatever you like. We'll yeah. discuss the series as a whole. That's a great idea. So yeah. we'll do that. So everybody who's you know watched it and and just wants to discuss yeah, I think anything. it'll be yeah. a sticky thread in the dusted section mm-hmm. of the forum. That is at forum.storywonk.com. You uh, you have to sign up because we're keeping uh, spam out yeah. of the forum as best we can. So you have to sign up uh, using your email address. But we never use that email address for anything. Mm-hmm. We don't even email newsletters yeah. to those addresses, I so. think. So you can sign up with impunity. <laughs> we will protect your privacy, but we can all discuss spoilers yes. in their full detail over mm-hmm. on the forum. Thank you so much. As I said earlier, we will be back next week with Bad Eggs. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.